Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Oh, praise the Lord to be in the house of God and to, with his word. And so if you turn in, your, in the Bible to um, Genesis 35, okay, Genesis 35. So let's go right to prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a glorious word it is to us. It guides us. It helps us. It speaks to us. It's our food. It's, it's what we enjoy to meditate on. And so help us, Lord, now this morning to have the word of God enter into us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. There I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all the earrings, their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak that was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities who were around about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, in our last study, we were in the study here, and we saw this miracle Really, it is a miracle when you look at the whole family of Jacob had repented when we read there, it's just read there in that verse four, then that, would, that repentance was seen when they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand, all their earrings in their ears, and then Jacob went and hid them there, and Jacob's family, they've been harboring these idols. I mean, they wanted them, you know, Rachel risked her life for it, and yet they gave them all to Jacob, and that was a very significant act for the family is because it showed that now they're ready to listen. Listen to Jacob, follow Jacob, turn away from all their false gods. You know, and so much of what we read here, what we're reading right now in the book of Genesis, it's not just, you know, historical records, but it has prophetic significance, especially for the Jewish people. We're looking at the Jewish people here. Jacob and his family, that's the whole of the Jewish people. And so when we see something like this, which is the leader of the Jewish people, Jacob, who had been despised and rejected by Levi and by Simeon and Levi, and now they're obeying. We see this as a picture. In Jacob, we see the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of the Jewish people, who just like Jacob withstood the Jewish people. And in Jacob's case, we've seen how he was rebuked by Simeon and Levi 
In the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw how, uh, what happened when he rebuked the rabbis for misleading the people, laying all kinds of emphasis, ter- ter- uh, a burdening emphasis of, of traditions of men, as he called it, as opposed to the emphasis on the word of God. He said in Mark chapter seven, verse eight, very significant, he said, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. Now, it reminds me, yesterday I was watching a video on what else? Cooking. <laughs> and this, the Orthodox rabbi was cooking some meat, you know, and he had some London broil there, and I thought, you know, he said, now I want to put a good sear on it. So I said, okay, now you got to put the butter in the pan, right, rabbi? No, no, he puts the margarine in the pan, and then he explains as if to, I know the butter would be better, but he says, listen, you know, we cannot use butter with meat, you know, you cannot mix a dairy product with meat. That's a tradition. That's not found in the Bible. And what we see is, but it's these traditions. Okay, back to Jacob. What we see is symbolism is Jacob rebuking the leaders of the family. Those were the leaders, Simeon and Levi, just like the the rabbis are the leaders in the Jewish people. And we saw, as we said, he saw rejected by the leaders, uh, Simeon and Levi. The Lord Jesus was rejected by the rabbis. But we see here in verse four a wonderful change of heart, and this is the best of all, because when Jacob's family gives their idols to Jacob, it's a change of heart. It's a change of heart for them. They turn, they're turning in repentance, and that's what we see, and that's, that's what we're looking forward to with the Jewish people when they in, will turn in repentance and put their faith in their leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what makes verse four so important for the future of the Jewish people, as we see in the sons of Jacob, the Jewish people, and in, the, and in Jacob, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, and we long for that coming day. Now, when everyone gave to Jacob their idols, and Jacob buried it under an oak, where was the oak located? That's it. It was in Shechem. It was in Shechem. It was a, the, the, he buries them under an oak in Shechem. That's important, because it shows that Jacob got rid of those idols before he started on that road from Shechem to Bethel. And and Shechem Shechem really represents for Jacob's family the past. It's a terrible place, Shechem. It's a place where their sins were committed and they, they had all those idols. And you know, for us, when we look at Shechem, it represents our past. It represents the sins that we committed. And the idols uh, uh, that represent for Jacob's family, following the way of the world. They're not called in the Hebrew strange idols. They're called the gods of the strangers, strange gods, I should say. They're called the gods of the strangers. And so just picture now, let's just picture in our mind, here's all of Jacob's family, and they're, they're, they're watching you know, Jacob, you know, I don't have a shovel or however he dug that hole anyway. And as they're watching that, they're saying to himself, you know what I'm seeing here? as I am watching the gods of the strangers be buried that I harbored, I'm watching my past sins. I'm watching my ways of life that was following the course of this world. It's getting buried. I'm watching it getting buried now. And that's just like us. When we followed the gods of the strangers, we followed the course of this world. It's described in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 2, where it it talks about us, and it says, wherein in time past 
you, ye walked according to the course of this world. That's an interesting phrase, the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also, we all had our conversation in time past, our life in time past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So what is this? What is this course of the world? What's the course of the world? The course of the world is a course that is not towards God. It's not towards God. The course of the world is a course away from God. The course of this world for conversation, for talking, is a talk or conversation where you never hear God mentioned. You know, the course of this world are for movies, are movies where God's not there. There's no honoring God in that movie. The course of the world for life is a life where God is just not an issue. It's not important. Who needs them? That's the course of the world. That's the course of this world that, that's described by David in Psalm 10, verse four. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. A course where we, we, we never thought of crying out to God. Who does that? Crying out to God for help because, because, because God's not in any of the thoughts. God's not, a, God's not an option you turn to for help. No, that's the course of this world. The course of this world, look, that, that's the course we, we, that was our BC days, our before Christ days. We walked there. And when we became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we buried all that under an oak in Shechem, so to speak. We buried all that. We buried our course in this world. And just like Jacob's family, they, 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 they sat there and they, they watched their idols being buried, their earrings being buried. Our past life with all its sins were buried. And for us to think about our old sins or all that kind of thought, you know, said, ah, I had a good time, didn't I? That's like... like sneaking into the cemetery at night and digging up a corpse. <laughs> That's what it's like. And so, you know, from here on out, we turn. We leave those old corpses in, in, where they ought to be, buried in the ground, never gonna dig them up again. Which is why the verse in Ephesians goes on to say, in Ephesians 2, verse four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, in sins hath quickened us. He made us alive. Together in Christ, by grace, you're saved. So now, come now in verse five. And now the family is setting out for Bethel. And it was scary. This was a scary part because Jacob said how scary this was in the previous chapter in Genesis 34, 30. In Genesis 34, 30, 30 Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed in my house. So by now, word has pretty well spread of how the Shechemites had been tricked and slaughtered by Jacob's sons, and Jacob was just afraid that all the peoples would see him as, you know, he's dangerous, you know, they need to wipe him out. He's that whole family, they're bad. You know, go out, let's go out and kill him. And really, Jacob did have every reason 
to be afraid of that as he moved through the desert so vulnerable and he no match for all those people around him. But this is where verse five is so wonderful because it says, and they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were about them and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. The terror of God, what was that? Well, I don't even wanna know. The, ter- <laughs> the terror of God was on the cities that were, that were around Jacob. They were just terrified. And that terror came from God. And the Hebrew word here for this terror, chitah, it used for terror, it doesn't appear any other place in the Bible. Just here. And so, you know, it, we, don't, we can't really get a lot of guidance as to what it means by looking where it's used in other places, because it's not used in other places, except that it comes from a root word. It comes from another word, chitah, and that word means to be broken down, to fall down, broken, and to be beaten down into a state of, like, a confusion. You ever watch the picture of a boxer, you know, Muhammad Ali? You know, when that certain punch comes, and the boxer kind of goes down like this, and he's, like, totally dazed, amazed, confused. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, that's this word. That's this word. That's where this word comes from. So here is where verses 4 and 5 they just dovetail together so beautifully. Okay, in verse four, what did the family give to Jacob along with the idol gods? Earrings. Okay, earrings. Okay, the earrings. Now, as a matter of fact, in this verse, we're given a pretty graphic picture of, of them surrendering their earrings when it describes, you know, it, it, talks, about, it talks about their hands and it talks about their ears. And it says in verse four there, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all the earrings which were in their ears. I mean, that was something. That must have been something. How did they attach? I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to know. But anyway, so, so those earrings, that, because those earrings, as we saw, they were amulets. They were seen as having a power to protect them from danger and harm. All right? So the earrings they wore, you know, were, were you know, kind of like the, you know, the cross in front of Dracula, you know. I mean, <laughs> they were like, uh, you know, they, were, they, had some, they, they felt they had some protection to them. And they were in great danger, as we said, as they're traveling, their small group to the desert. They were trusting those earrings to protect them. And so it's significant to see the family remove those amulet earrings from their ears and hand them over to Jacob to be buried. Boy, what a scene that is. That's graphic, and so, now what? No powerful earrings to protect them in the desert? How are they going to be protected? And then follows this statement. That was verse 4. And then follows this statement. They were protected, not by earrings, but by the terror of God that was on all the cities they traveled through. They were protected by the power, not of the earrings, not in the power in the earrings. They were protected by the power of God to make the enemies afraid of them. You know, it reminds me how, how I spoke with a man this week, and he told me his wife was from the Philippines, and I, a certain island in the Philippines, and that this island has a famous statue there called St. Rosary. You know, I, I don't know, that's what he told me. And that the island described their protection during World War II and from typhoons to the statue of St. Rosary. And then he told me that in his home in Lemon Grove here, that he has a replica of this St. Rosary statue on his altar over his fireplace. 
And then he told me that one night the statue moved from the fireplace to the foot of the stairs. And I was thinking, what would it be good if it moved from the top of the fireplace to into the fireplace? Uh, that might have been better. But anyway, <laughs> you know, but, and, he, and I said, well, yeah, it's interesting. What does that mean to you, you know? And, he, he, and he, he said, well, man, God is with us, you know? And I said, you know, that's all the realm of I don't know. You know, but the Bible is the realm of I know. It's better to go over into this realm of I know in the Bible rather than I don't know how the statue moved. But anyway, there's only one source of safety that's stated in Proverbs 21:31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And what's sad is when safety from the Lord is ascribed to a statue you know, or to earrings. And that's why it's so important here in this verse to see these earrings getting buried and they left them there in Shechem before they started out so that no one could say, well, yeah, I'll tell you, Jacob, why we were safe, you know? No, so we're not gonna have that. God's not gonna share his glory. Uh, Gideon, you got too many men. What? You know, yeah, 300 sounds like a good number to me. God says, I like the number like 300, you know? (laughs) No, so what we see in verse five was God working to protect his followers by working in the hearts of the lost. God worked inside the hearts of those who didn't follow him. Just like he says in Proverbs 16, 7, Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, there were three times in a year when the Israelites had to leave their homes and their lands and go up to Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine those times? Can you imagine those times when a Jewish person knew there's bad people all around me, heathen nations all around me, and they know when those three times are in the year when I have to leave everything and go appear before the Lord in Jerusalem. I mean, you know, makes you anxious. I mean, I get anxious every time I leave for church on Sunday, you know, because I get concerned. I make sure all the cameras are working, the ADT alarm is set, you know, that's gonna call the police, that's gonna call my iPhone when someone breaks in, you know, And so what about those Jewish people who would be gone for days and they leave all their stuff for days? What are they gonna do? You know, they're gonna gonna double deadbolt their tents, you know? (laughs) They're gonna set their ADT alarms to call their iPhones while they're in Jerusalem? (laughs) You know, imagine them in worship saying, you know, I gotta call ADT, someone's breaking into my tent, you know? (laughs) I mean, how could you not worry? How could they not worry about, well, what am I gonna find stolen? You know, when I come back after these three times a year, or maybe my houses and my lands just would be occupied by enemies, you know? So they didn't have ADT to rely on. They didn't have their iPhones to rely on. Well, what did they have to rely on? Well, instead of ADT, instead of iPhone, they had a promise from God. And the promise was in Exodus 34, 24. Exodus 34, 24. Here's what the promise says. God says, I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. See, that's a promise. God says, no alarm system. God says, I'm gonna do something in the heart of all the people, of all, of all the other people. I'm gonna make sure there's no desire for your stuff, your land, when, the, when you go to appear before the Lord. Don't you worry when you go serve God. Nothing's gonna be touched because of my power. Here was God's promise. 
that when they went up to do the will of God and traveled to Jerusalem three times in the year, they, they said, don't worry about your possessions. Don't worry about your stuff and your, your land because God's gonna control the desires in the hearts of your enemies, just like he was putting fear and terror into the hearts of the people there. And they just said, I don't want that. How assuring is that for us? So time they'd be away, God just said, you know, and they got it time to go away. And, and you know, when, when a fear, like it does, races over our hearts, they just say, God promised that while I'm away, serving him on these three times a year, neither shall any man desire thy land. And today we've got this, a similar promise. And what should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we can just put a title over this passage we're reading here, and the title would be Back to Bethel, Back to Bethel. But they needed help, and obviously we talked about how God helped them. But there's so many times in life when we need help. We need help, and the question is, what do you do? What do you do when you need help? There's a psalm. By the way, it's not a bad thing to ask for help. You know, uh, during the service before this, uh, Ken was talking about the crucifixion in Psalm 22, and in that passage in Psalm 22, the Lord Jesus Christ asked for help three times. He said in Psalm 22, one, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And then in verse 11 of Psalm 22, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And then in verse 19, be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, hasty to help me. So three cries for help. What do we do? When we're in trouble and we need help, there's a great psalm that guides us. And Psalm 121, turn to it if you would, would please. Psalm 121, great psalm that guides us when we need help. We just need help, pure and simple. And Psalm 121, and it's a short psalm, but it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? Keep these things in mind. He's gonna lift his eyes unto, lift his eyes to the hills. Whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. And in which Lord would that be? Oh, you know, the one that made heaven and earth. And he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel, new topic, Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade by thy right hand. Upon thy right hand, the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil and shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. See, King David tells us, first thing to do when you need help, he says, go outside and look to the hills. Look at the hills. Why? Because we're expecting God to see coming over that hill. You know, Just look, you know, it's gonna come over Mount Miguel. No, because there's something wonderful that happens when you're in stress and you're in trouble, just to go outside just to go outside and especially looking at the hills because when you're in trouble, you know, the first thing, you, you wanna go inside, you wanna hunker down, you know, you wanna pull the covers over here and drop your eyes and worry, you know. But this says don't do that in Psalm 121. It says don't do that. It tells us lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. In other words, look beyond your trouble by looking to the hills.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 